News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorker's podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Dr. Christina Greer here with Harry Siegel. Hello, Harry Siegel. Hello. And I'm here with Katie Honan. Hi, Katie Honan. Hi, Chrissy. Before we jump into the news from another jam-packed week in New York City, here's a holiday appeal from Katie. Thanks, Chrissy. FAQ NYC is part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom serving the people of New York. As a nonprofit, we really depend on your donation to keep us going. Our investigations, explainers, reporters, editors, and podcast episodes, me and me and Harry in particular, they all depend on readers and listeners like you. So please, please make your gift today. Go to thecity.nyc slash give. Any amount helps. And the best way to support us is with an automatic monthly donation because those really help us plan for the future. If you're already doing that, thank you. And you can always make an extra special gift. So go to thecity.nyc slash give to make your donation today. Again, that is thecity.nyc slash give. And with that, let's get right to it as the city council is about to hold a big hearing on Eric Adams's big and hugely unpopular budget cuts right after we record this morning. Harry? Hey, Donald Trump, remember him, was in Manhattan again. Not to testify, as he previously said he would at the close of his big civil fraud trial, but to fundraise and joke again about being a day one dictator in a second term. Halfway through the eight nights of Hanukkah, there have been several violent attacks on Jews in New York City who've long been the target of a very disproportionate share of reported hate crimes here and nationally, and as those numbers have skyrocketed since October 7th. Prospective political opponents are circling amid rumors of imminent indictments, rumors for what those are worth, of course, following the FBI raid on Eric Adams' chief fundraiser, and as a new Quinnipiac poll shows the mayor with the lowest approval rating ever recorded, 28% approving, 58% disapproving, that's 30 points below zero, in the 27-year history of the poll. Adams' numbers are really bad across the board. But one thing that stands out is he's 44 points below zero, 22.66, on the budget, where a staggering 83% of New Yorkers say they're concerned his across-the-board cuts, including to sanitation, libraries, police, fire, will impact their daily lives. Adams has blamed these cuts on the steep cost of caring for migrants as he's demanded more help from the federal government. And that Quinnipiac poll shows New Yorkers overwhelmingly agree Washington should be doing more. But on a trip last week to D.C., basically a do-over for the one he abruptly canceled after that FBI raid, the mayor seemed to finally acknowledge the obvious. There's no help coming anytime soon. And, quote, it's going to be up to New York to navigate this. Katie, you've been covering this on the regular. Yeah. What's Team Adams saying now about this torrent of bad news, uh, the poll numbers, the investigation, and these budget cuts that they announced? And what should New Yorkers be making of all this? nearly two years out from the next city election. So um, the thing that sticks out to me with the mayor's response to um, particularly the polls is you're angry. Yeah. So am I, you know, it's, it's not, he's, he's, his message to New Yorkers is not like, I guess this, this couldn't be his message, 
But it's, you're upset about stuff, so am I. And it's actually the federal government's fault. You know, but when you look at the polls, it's not just things that are directly tied to the feds, right? Um, I caught up with the mayor right before he went to D.C. last week. And and he said, like, I'm angry too. I'm going to D.C. to try to get more money. When he came back uh, on Friday at a press conference, he basically said, like, help is not on the way. It's up to New York. Um, We're not going to get what we want. You could argue that perhaps his tone being really aggressive towards President Biden and, and complaining about stuff did not do us any favors in, in terms of getting money. But also, I I don't believe the federal government would just hand out huge checks anyway. So it's sort of like, well, I mean, whatever. If, you, if they didn't like his attitude towards them, then they could still help out. Um, I will say, with the polls and the frequent headlines, there was a story today in the Daily News about a, you know more Turkish ties and pres- ties to per- President Erdogan. His message is, I need your support because everyone's out to get me. He was on his monthly radio show on BLS yesterday. And you could argue that is really his base. Who's listening in on a Sunday morning to WBLS? Probably older voters of color in the city. A lot of retired city employees or other people who's sort of more conservative. And, and you hear this in, in the questions. You know, they have a much more conservative Democratic ideology. The questions yesterday were about... All- e-bikes and uh what's up with these with with, with these e-bikes yeah which is you know i i I get it i saw some guy with an e-bike on the seven train during rush hour i wanted to be like dude isn't the point for you to be you know anyway but his he he started that right and of course the whole point is to hear from new yorkers and he spends the first 20 minutes doing this sort of speech and he is like telling the listeners i'm gonna read it you know you're reading the headlines over the last month, there have been negative headlines about me that are so sensational, they're hard to believe. There's a reason for that. They're not based on facts. They're based on rumor. And yes, on many occasions, even lies. Political op- opponents stoke the innuendo because it has successfully and unfairly brought down leaders of color in the past. That's it right there, right? That to me is the crux of it. Not to mention, like, the the things that are being reported, me, our colleagues, our media colleagues, colleagues at other outlets, people stand by what they're reporting. They're not reporting things that are rumors or lies. They're reporting things that are based on our reporting or true. Is it true that the mayor's phones were seized by the FBI? Yes. So that's not a rumor or an innuendo. That's actually something that happened. Of course, the mayor has not been charged with anything. There have not been any indictments come up, despite whatever rumors are floating around Twitter. But that, to me, is that, is, is the crux of it. He's hoping the people listening will think that these are not true. Not just the Turkish stuff, but... um the woman who accused him of sexual assault, that that isn't true. You know, so this is what he's hoping to get out of people. And he's leaning into, you know, later on he says, there are powerful individuals who care more about politics than people and I'm in their way. So they attack and smear and try to tear us down. I don't know who these people are. He even, he'd said in a previous statement, I think from his deputy mayor, spokesperson, whatever, Fabian, um, that people are trying to tear him down in the court of law. The only court case that I know is is the right to shelter case. I don't know what else. I guess he was referring to the woman who accused him of sexual assault. So yeah, this is the mayor's tactic. Lean into your base, appeal to your base, remind them that even though this person is the mayor of New York City, so you could argue is the most powerful person in New York City, he's telling them that powerful individuals want to take him down. He's telling right. them that, you know, we're blue-collar New Yorkers. As he said, we blue-collar New Yorkers are used to injustice, and we always fight back. So that's my take. Chrissy, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on um, yeah. 
Because I think he speaks in double entendres sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's like the we is like the blue collar New Yorkers. It's black people. It's like, listen, do black people by and large think that white people are to get him? Probably. I, I believe it. Um, so in that position, sure, that appeals to some people. I think where Adams should be concerned is when you dig a little deeper in the cross tabs of the data, he's losing black people. So... You know, de Blasio always had solid support from Black Americans in New York, no matter what his shenanigans and nonsense and uh, laziness were. Uh, But Adams seems to be slipping with the very base that he needs to appeal to. As of now, it doesn't seem like the sexual assault stuff is getting traction. I think it might sort of become more of a conversation if Cuomo comes in and then it's like, okay, do we just have like, you know, a whole bunch of booby grabbers at the top? But... I do think that the cause for concern is is warranted. Now, am I chicken little the sky is falling? Not right now. I mean, you know, I talked to um, Emma, your colleague, uh, about the poll numbers. And, you know, it's like Bloomberg had super low poll numbers. And a friend of mine in Texas was like, hey, but don't forget, Bloomberg had good people around him and didn't have, you know, sort of uh, the same kind of reputation. And also, a hundred million dollars. There we go. <laughs> you can also control the narrative quite a bit with a hundred million dollars, and we know that Bloomberg was sprinkling money around like hotcakes. So the, I do think that Bloomberg, in so many ways, is an anomaly because you can't compare him. I mean, he bought so much silence. You know, you didn't hear clergy uh, really kicking up sand for twelve years. You know, then all of a sudden they've got all this stuff to say, and it's like, really, where you guys been besides you know living on the teat? So. I do think that part of me is just like, listen, we can't get, get, I was about to say something, never mind. Um, oh, we're we're about to use a turn of pod. phrase. Like, yeah, that, that's right after the podcast. I was about to use a turn of phrase that I often use, um, <laughs> not on the podcast. But, family podcast. Right. This is family. Frizzy, it's family. Drink your coffee. Um, we are being a little histrionic, I think, about these numbers right now, because I don't know if New Yorkers or anyone has the capacity to hold all of this in their minds until we get through 2024. Harry in the lead and talked about Donald Trump. I don't really know what the presidency looks like. And I just think that that is such a huge hurdle before we even get to the mayor's race. Because guess what? If 2024 doesn't go in a proper direction, I don't know what the future of cities looks like. Donald Trump has a vendetta against New York. He clearly doesn't care about governance, leadership, or finances. So I don't really know if all of this is kind of a moot conversation to, in some ways. So I'm trying to hold, as the social justice people say, I'm holding space for two ideas. Um, but I, <laughs> I'm going to get lots of tweets about that. That wasn't a jab. It's just you all love to say you're holding space. I want to lift up the idea that there are a lot of elections uh, that are of great import uh, before we kind of get to 2025. And so that's my concern. But if I were Adams, I would think about where Black New Yorkers are, where blue-collar New Yorkers are, where working-class New Yorkers are. Because once you start slipping in your base, it's hard to get them back. If you have to have terrible poll numbers in your first term of presumably two, if you don't change term limits again, hey, Bloomberg, you want it about two years in because you have a lot of recovery time and Mm -hmm. people who might want to run against you are actually on a clock, even with ranked choice voting to start showing they can raise serious money and serious institutional support 
And there's only space for so many people to do that. Well, there's lots and lots of people who are interested in sort of circling. I'll just note, though, it makes sense for Adams to be like, this is about D.C., because it's the one good number in this terrible poll is New Yorkers across the board mm-hmm. are really upset mm-hmm. with, uh, with, with Washington and what it's doing. Um, however, you know, they pulled these other figures and, you know, Adams is 30 points underwater. Um, among Democrats, it's 35, 49. So he's 14 points underwater. Kathy Hochul is 63, 31. So 30 points above. Uh, Jumani Williams, right, is 57, 14. Brad Landers, 49, 16. Adrian Adams, the uh, city council speaker, no relation, is 43-15. So they're 60 points past him at the moment. You know, and some of this is name recognition. Some I was about to say, come on. Not tracking their jobs the same. It's the same as this poll showing Cuomo would win if Adams wasn't there. You know, if, 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 and it's all just name recognition. So you, you can roll your eyes at this stuff. But it is clear that New Yorkers are specifically angry with Adams. And they're able to hold those two thoughts of we're mad at the federal government and we and don't also, like how this guy is responding to this circumstance, very specifically about him. And I do think these budget cuts, and we're recording right before the council is going to be digging into these, and they've already said there, there, there's uh, there, there's money in reserves, there are other cuts that can be made uh, tactically, that the, 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 there's ways not to end up here. Adam's trying to put all that on the back of the migrants. That's why we're doing this. I don't think New Yorkers are buying it right now. And I do think something has happened where the same people who just voted for this guy to be our mayor are having real questions. You know, he did the whole, I'm, I'm not going to be boring to cover thing. And he hasn't been, but without being able <laughs> yeah, to track the been. whole narrative, like people are turning and, and it does include a significant share of black voters. Although that's the one group he continues to be, you know, not below water with. Right, because a lot of Black voters understand the constraints of being a Black executive, but also you can't have your reputation coming out the gate as party cat, and then we've got budget cuts, because people are like, well, where were you? Why weren't you at the table advocating to make sure? I mean, this was the first weekend that, you know, the libraries had their limited service, and I think people are going to start to see, you know, there are lots of um, park systems that, you know, won't have the same level of cleanliness and all the things. And as people emerge more and more, we're not post-COVID, but you know what I mean, um, into society, they're going to start to see the effects. I mean, this is where we get through that uh, academic debate of broken windows that Rudy Giuliani touted so much. But, you know, when people start to see certain feelings of um, urban decay, if you will, then that falls on the the shoulders of the mayor. It's like, what are you doing? You know, Ed Koch, how am I doing? And it's, you know, hey, Eric Adams, the hard part has started. It's like been started. Um, and you can't put everything on um, on Joe Biden. Now, I do want to talk about, you know, like, you know, we keep seeing conflicting debates. Will Cuomo jump in? Is this just, you know, a man who needs a little attention before the holidays so he can be in the papers? Um I think also he won't come in if Adams is in the race. We'll we'll see what that means. But yeah, right. Okay. Um, (laughs) Sure. Sure, Jan. Um, But I think he's he's probably also talking to, you know, like Adams isn't from the Harlem, the black Harlem camp. That that sort of base, political power base is all but dead. I mean, if it weren't for Al Bragg, no one would be talking about Harlem. I still I do wonder since Cuomo's, you know, runs to Harlem to the black bosom when he was in trouble. Like, does he go there? But like, who can really 
make it happen for him if that's the case. I'm curious. Just while we're talking about historical New York figures to some extent, Cuomo, of course, is trying to make himself a present tense relevant one again after a, a very long run on top and for his family. Um, Chrissy, while I was writing about the poll in the news this week, I did note, and I'm just going to read a little of this, um, Adams happens to be the first Democratic mayor to succeed a Democratic mayor since the city's first Black mayor, David Dinkins, upset at Koch's bid for an unprecedented fourth term in the 1989 party primary before eking out a much closer than expected win over Giuliani. Four years later, Dinkins lost an equally tight rematch with the Republican, beginning what turned out to be a 20-year interregnum of non-democratic mayors running an overwhelmingly democratic city. Dinkins was, of course, a very different mayor at a very different moment in New York's history. But once again, a borough president who moved from that mostly ceremonial office into the big job, but a moment when New York is in rough shape, has been appealing to Washington for help, meaning money that plainly isn't coming. So I thought about you while I was writing that. I would have called, but uh, I was writing at two in the morning. (laughs) I appreciate that, Harry. Yeah, but uh, but now that it's not two in the morning, although, of course, listeners might be listening at two in the morning, we are the cure for insomnia. Um, <laughs> I'd love uh, your, your your thoughts on that. It's something I've been been sort of putting through my head, um, how this relates and the circumstances, often difficult ones in which black mayors tend to be reelected, how you mm-hmm. see this and how you think Adam sees it. Yeah. Um, first of all, if you were an academic, we would be talking about you over Twitter because, you know, academics love to sort of let me read from my book. <laughs> Um, That's a great piece, though, by the way. So I think there are a few moving parts. One, there's a difference between being the first and the second. And so when we think about Black mayors, it's like the first Black mayor oftentimes has a slightly different uh, trajectory in some ways because it's such a novelty. And obviously, New York being, you know, the largest city, et cetera, et cetera. Um, The style of Dinkins versus Adams couldn't be any more different. on a host of levels. And I think sort of the camps that they come from, you know, like Dinkins not only just sort of came from a Koch-esque camp, but he came from sort of a Harlem camp that was in many ways seen as very different and more sophisticated in some ways. And I mean, you have to factor in Dinkins also comes with Sutton and Patterson and Wrangell together, right? I mean, it's sort of like you're getting the gang of four for the price of one in some ways, even though they weren't, um, you know, Charlie Ringles in D.C., et cetera. I do wonder um, how Adams sort of gets out of this jam. I mean, there is a difference, you know, to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, Harry, David Dinkins didn't have any federal probes, right? David Dinkins didn't have... Um, he had a tax issue with not paying income tax that got right. looked into and was a campaign issue, but it was not a federal probe and it did not overshadow his time in office. Right. I mean, I think, listen, who doesn't have tax issues in, in politics these days um, or those days? But I think that's different from the FBI seizing your phones. Oh, yeah. That's different from, you know, obviously a judge that signs off on the FBI coming to the mayor of New York City and seizing his phones and computers and and iPads is a someone someone feels like there's some some stake to that sizzle. Um so when I, I'm like reflecting, because you know, I'm trying to write this Adam's piece that just is 
is a lot of moving parts because Adams is a lot of moving parts. I mean, I can't stress enough that in some ways he is this person that we've, we haven't seen a Black leader like him, but we do know how Black leaders have been treated in the past, not just from the federal government, but, you know, from the press, from the press corps, which is largely um, devoid of a full understanding of race, class, and how one ascends to these positions and the constraints. I mean, we can think about sort of the presidents of these universities and their calls for resignation and like see some of the the racial dynamics that are undercurrent there that may seem obvious to some and completely shocking to others. So I don't know, Harry, I'm trying to sit with, you know, I think part of the Adam's angst, and if that's the title of this episode, is he doesn't want to be a one-termer like Dinkins, right? That That weighs heavily on a lot of politicians, obviously. The first rule of election is to get reelected. I tell my students that all the time. But, you know, Obama had that angst. He didn't want to essentially be like a Jimmy Carter. You know, Adams is really keenly aware that he doesn't want to sort of go down in history as this failed politician. He might have bigger fish to fry than sort of just a one-term versus two-term. I agree with you that voters uh, can hold multiple ideas, right? And it's um, they got it for a long time because they don't get a vote for another two years on this. Right. So they have to. Um, I mean, I think we'll just have this is the, the, the frustrating things. What we care about and what the average voter really thinks about are two totally different things, right? We have a podcast. I love our listeners because our listeners really care about New York City and they care about like the detail and the wonkiness of New York City. The average voter is not going to pay attention until, sadly, Far, far later than even the primaries, you know, I mean, with ranked choice voting, a lot of people won't pay attention until October of 2025 when they really need to be paying attention, not just now, but obviously in the spring of 2025 so that they can make a, a, a ranked choice voting uh, decision. I say that because I think Adams is also keenly aware of that as well. And so when we're thinking about how voters go to the polls based on pocketbook issues, if he can kind of get the the cart back on track, that might uh, bode well for him, obviously, because voters also have a very short memory. Now, with these names that are floating around, these new names, Brad, Lander, Scott, Stringer, Andrew Cuomo, you know, uh, it's the state senators. As I said before, one comes in, they all come in. Everybody's in the pool. Um, I think for some people, it's, you know, that old Chicago adage, we don't want nobody who nobody sent. Like, I don't know who's sending for some of these people. I don't, I really do wish sometimes, Harry, I could like be a man for the day just to like wake up in the mirror and like look at myself in the mirror and be like, I'm not qualified for this. Nobody wants me to do it, but doggone it, I'm going to do it. Like, I am fascinated by that psyche and that mindset of who's checking for some of these people? Like, who, where, who has the desire for it? And... It, are you do are you running because you think you're the best? Are you running because you have nothing else to do? Are you running because people are telling you? Are you running just because a, if a black man can do it, then obviously you can do it? Um, I don't know. I'm really sort of I'm curious as to what the primary would look like, whether Adams is in or Adams is out, because I I still think that. If one person does it, I don't think enough egos will let people sit on the sidelines, especially when fortune favors the bold and folks recognize that, you know, the winds of politics can change pretty quickly. And if you're if you're just on the field, then, hey, it's good for you. So you might as well just jump in. 
jump right in. What is warm? We're going to see. Lots of people are sort of seem to be preparing, making calls and doing meetings to potentially take that next step. But as we've seen, we saw this with de Blasio in his first term, as he had his own investigation, plural. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is tough to run against a Democratic incumbent. I think it's probably harder with the city's second black mayor. And there are lots of people who are eager to seize this moment, but don't want to uh, don't want to get ahead of it, especially those who'd have to give up their present seats in this game of musical chairs to do so. So now, I is it hard, we, Harry, if the black polling numbers have turned against Adams? Mm-hmm. Like, how hard is that if black voters are by and large like we're done with this cat? Could that, that, that would open up a lot. I, I still think. There'd be an interesting set of identity questions in terms of who the mm-hmm. right person to run against a diminished Adams is in a circumstance mm-hmm. where, where 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 those numbers keep going in the wrong direction. And they already are going in the wrong direction. They just haven't gone, you know, below water with black voters at this point. Like the numbers are not great. If you look at how many people think he did something illegal or unethical with this turkey probe, if you look at the overall approval for that matter, um, there is slippage. Uh, I know the Adams folks say in their internal polling, when they're looking at at voters who've actually showed up in lots of recent races, that they're stronger than you're seeing in these polls. But we'll see. It's a lot of polls now that are showing a pretty similar picture of of, of a mayor who's in real political trouble, which. uh, But it's trouble, but it's not it doesn't feel like quicksand. mm -hmm. I feel like he's in mud right now, but I don't know if he's in quicksand now. I do have some some old friends who have worked at the DOJ, you know, on a scale of one to 13 R's in a text that says, girl, we're at like six R's. We're just like, girl, <laughs> not looking good. But we're not at like all caps, 13 R's, girl. Not just yet. And the political junkies I'm talking to are all, there's no way they would have got a judge to sign off on these warrants and seized mm-hmm. his phones. They didn't have this nailed. Mm-hmm. And then... The DOJ junkies I'm talking to have a different narrative that uh, SDNY can be arrogant, that its corruption unit is very Mm -hmm. arrogant, that they read Mm -hmm. the same clippings as everyone else and start fishing on that basis. And that when Adam says, you know my character, I don't do those things, I follow the rules, you can ask about whether whether the rules, like what's illegal and what's unethical are the same and all sorts Mm -hmm. of other things, but they take that seriously and they have their doubts about what sort of case could be brought or whether a case will be brought at all. And in the meantime, you know, the press has to take care not to loosely speculate, to get ahead of events. We really are going to see. And of course, it's a very difficult position for any politician. It's real, when did you stop beating your wife territory to answer questions about an ongoing investigation once it becomes public? Well, I also think that, you know, Adams has sort of intimated this before, but I definitely think that it will be part of his strategy, which is not saying that there are no Black people in press corps. Shout out to Jeff Mays, Mara, the whole gang. But I think that is part of, uh, what is it, a quiver and the arrow in his quill or something like that, where for some people, it might actually be like, oh, wow, so maybe they, maybe they don't understand him. You know, I mean, that's, I think that's a Hail Mary pass, but 
we know sometimes those those do work. I think that, you know, I'm also Williams, always sorry, mm-hmm. Williams, I was just gonna say is uh Damien Williams, the Yeah, the he's black. black. He's Al B Bragg is black. I mean, mm-hmm. you but can sort they of come from a very different background than, than, than Adams. They're not blue collar, dirt under their nail guys. And and he has alluded to this already. It's something I think if it comes to it, he's gonna have more to say on that front. That's when you lean into the blue collar strategy as opposed to the black strategy. Um, because I mean, black people know that there's rampant diversity within the black community. Many white people don't understand that, but there is. Um, and there's some old historical conversations surrounding that and tensions to be just 100. So I do wonder, I'm most fascinated by men in power, uh, how they handle adversity. Some go the lash out route and just total feral, wild, you know, um, some go with like the angry route. I feel like a la Cuomo. Um, some go the sort of hyper defensive route, right? So I'm curious as to because Eric Adams is such a unique figure. I'm curious as to what route does he go, or do you, you know, some go the sympathetic route, some go the charm. Like we've seen, Eric Adams loves to throw on charm. You know, I had someone text me who cannot stand Eric Adams. I mean, there are lots of friends who just like, I can't stand this man. And she was somewhere where he gave a speech where she was not expecting him to be. It was like a women's event or something like that. And she was like, oh my gosh, this man can give a speech. And I was like, he sure can. He and gives him can. everywhere. He shows up he everywhere. Touch points. On the charm. Touch he's points, good. touch points. So he's good. So I'm curious. It's like, is that the strategy? Because you can't be an angry black man. So do you do the charm offensive? I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, time does interesting things, as do the holidays. Speaking of which, happy Festival of Lights to you. I forgot to text. Um, to quote Smokey Robinson, happy Chinooka. Um, <laughs> he did a cameo, and he kept saying Chinooka. I was like, Smokey. Um, so... I saw him at, at, at the Marty Markowitz concert series, you know, at Coney Island. Oh. Marty Markowitz, of course, being the only borough president who nearly murdered an American icon in uh, Curtis Mayfield. Oh. oh, true. I see Chrissy making the, the face. I'm like, what's he the hot tea? Curtis Mayfield to come out in the middle of a gigantic storm. Oh, right. Fell on him, and that is what paralyzed Curtis Mayfield. And he did it because it was his event and people were out there. But anyways, when I saw Smokey there, uh, the number of extremely enthusiastic, we'll say, <laughs> like 50 to 70-year-old women who, who were just in their element was wildly, <laughs> wildly over the top. Uh, you know, Smokey is, is an American poet and uh, uh, one of the greats. Yeah, he is. And no one gave him the memo that it's called Hanukkah because <laughs> I did send a text to my friends like, happy Chinooka. Um, it's not anymore. It's Chinooka. It's Chinooka. Um, okay, so I can famously get us off track. Sorry. So here we are with closing closing notes with this mayor. I think the holidays also do certain things. I'm curious to what January reset feels like, because as Joe Biden's poll numbers continue to go south as well, I don't know if some of the strategy of it's Biden slash DC's fault, if that will be effective for some. Just because a lot of Americans, young Americans, um, are disappointed in this president. Stay tuned. F-A-Q. F-A-Q. 
FAQ NYC is part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting journalism that serves the people of New York. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to support our work is by setting up a monthly recurring donation by going to thecity.nyc slash give. If you already make a monthly donation and want to add a special one-time gift, you can also do that at thecity.nyc slash give. As ever, FAQ's work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc, and the pod also receives support from P&T Knitwear, an independent bookstore, cafe, and event space on Manhattan's Lower East Side with a podcast studio that can be freely reserved for community use. The podcast is a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of independent journalists, critics, and artists, and is affiliated with the Colin Powell School at CUNY City College, where our co-host Christina Greer is one of the Moynihan Public Scholars Inaugural Fellows. Our hosts for this episode were Professor Christina Greer, Katie Honan, who quietly slipped out midway through to go and do her reporting job, and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. And I'm our engineer, Adam Kamara. Thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.